Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. Welcome. It's show 64 of the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge, enrolled agent. Today, we're going to touch on something that you kind of hear a lot on TV and various advertisements, be it radio, internet, wherever it is. Is it really that easy to eliminate your tax debt. And to discuss this today, in just a few moments, we're going to have Eric Green. Uh, I call him like the guru of this topic because he is excellent at it, has all the high answers. But, you know, I really appreciate how many people in a diversified audience we have here throughout basically the world. And I do a lot of this tax planning and tax resolution work that we're going to talk about today and other year-round services. So always give me a call here. It's successcashtracksfinancial.com. The phone number is actually 844-394-4287. And the website, of course, is cashtracksfinancial.com to resolve your tax issues. And of course, plan ahead to pay as little tax as possible. But yet, let's jump right into this here. Is the tax really that easy to eliminate that tax debt? You hear people talk about it. You hear these advertisements. You see it advertised all over the place. Well, I'm going to talk to Eric Green here, the managing partner of Green and Scholars. He's been on the program before and we've talked about this, but it's it's just something that needs to be continually talked about because there is so much, I will say, misinformation out there is the term I will use because that's exactly what it is. And as a, as a partner in the law firm, Eric practices civil and criminal tax representation before the IRS and state departments of revenue spoken in front of many associations such as Inside of Accountant, CCH, the NAEA and NATP, which are associations that I uh, I work with as well, even taught some at the University of Connecticut Law School, and a founder of a fantastic organization that does some good education for tax reps that are wanting to help out people. That is, the, he does Tax Rep LLC, which I can proudly say I'm also a member of because it's just a fantastic program. So I want to certainly give you a welcome to the program again, Eric. It's nice that you're able to find anytime in your busy schedule this time of year. It is a crazy time of year, but the topic is important. It really is important. And you see it too, because you do this work. Um, people hear those those satellite radio ads and, you know, it's it really is, they can be misleading. Mm-hmm. Yes, they definitely can be. I have, and I've, I actually didn't know this till I got started working with you more, but I've heard the ads about the IRS fresh start program. And it's, it, it makes it sound like this is really a great deal, but uh, the simple question is, is there really an IRS fresh start program? Yeah. Well, there was. <laughs> um, and, and so let, let, let's talk about this it's, it, for those listening is background. So the IRS fresh start program, was in 2012, the IRS, you know, they're always analyzing and looking at, you know, the numbers. And they began to realize that, you know, the collection division inventory kept climbing higher and and still does. And so they needed to encourage more people to settle their debt. And so they made a bunch of changes to the way that they collect and the way they calculate offers. 
uh, called reasonable collection potential um, that made it easier to get an offer done. And uh, just quickly, it used to be when they would look and do their analysis, they would look at 48 months of future income. Mm-hmm. That has been reduced to 12. Um, if you had dissipated assets, meaning transferred away assets, um, it used to be for any of the open years, if you had done that, it had to be added back. Now mm-hmm. it's only the last three. So what the 2012 Fresh Start Initiative did is made it easier for people to get offers done. That was the end of the program. So the program, it really wasn't a program. It was, hey, we're making the following changes to the way that we are going to collect taxes. Those changes are now permanent. They're part of the Internal Revenue Manual. There is no Fresh Start program. In fact, now, 10 years on, it'd be pretty decrepit and and, and moldy. But... um, so, so when you hear those, you know, those commercials about their experts in the Fresh Start program, first of all, you'd have to wonder, do you even realize that it's 10 years old and gone? Um, and so what I tell people is because, you know, we'll get this. And I don't know if you've had this, Marcelino. The folks that call and we start to walk them through how it works. And they'll say, well, you do know there's a Fresh Start program going on, right? And I'll say, actually, there isn't. It was back in 2012. Mm-hmm. The late night satellite radio companies are misleading and lying to you. I said, here's how you can, if you don't believe me, here's how you can tell. Call the IRS. Tell them you want someone to talk to you about the Fresh Start program. Either they'll laugh at you because they're, they're old enough to know that was 10 years ago and that's long gone. You listen to mm-hmm. too many late night radios, <laughs> radio ads, or they won't know what you're talking about because they were in high school at the time. Right. Because mm-hmm. this is with all the new hiring the IRS is doing. So net net, um, there is no fresh start program. Do understand that when they did it in 2012, mm-hmm. the changes are now permanent. So in that sense, it's there permanently, but there's no program. It's they've just been adopted mm-hmm. as changes to the way the IRS does business. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what they're functioning under. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I really appreciated how you mentioned some of the adjustments there, like the look back period, like uh, how many years of future income that they're looking forward to. That's a big difference. I mean, how could you project 48 months of future income? That just uh, didn't seem realistic. Now that I look at it, 12 months seems okay, but 48. (laughs) Well, for those of us that did this Mm -hmm. back then, if you had somebody that had any kind of real monthly income, they couldn't do an offer. I mean, they they didn't have Mm -hmm. the 48 months of future income. So, you know, if they were like at a hundred bucks, all right, $4,800, that's doable. But if they got up to like 500, 800, $1,000, the, the, um, the offer amount just became too much, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you have to put 20% down. And if you're doing a mm-hmm. lump sum offer, 20% down, and then you had to pay the balance within five months of acceptance, you'd have to come up with that money in roughly a year, mm-hmm. maybe a year and a half. Um, it was too much yeah. for people. So, I mean, the Fresh Start program, when they did it, um, I mean, I'll applaud the IRS. It did make it much easier mm-hmm. uh, for taxpayers to resolve their debts. Yeah. So so since you worked during that time, <clears throat> so you you basically you saw through this transition period from the old right. program to, to the, new, the new thing. Did you notice in as far as offers, how more offers were maybe more, were more offers like accepted after this time? Were you able to get more through or was there a change there? Oh. Well, what was funny about it is they rolled, they, they announced this. And for about three or four months, all the offers we had already filed 
Um, theoretically, what what was well not theoretically. So what was happening? Oh, oh, okay. Theoretically, once you made the offer, they you don't get to reduce it. You made that offer; they can accept it or reject it. Um, and you know, listen, we try to be as aggressive as we can going in. So I'll give you an example. There are um, as a as a um, practice, what I would often do is I tell the client, look, based on the allowable standards, the limitations that the IRS uses, they're going to come up with ten thousand. But if we use your actual it's more like a thousand. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to file the offer based on your actual. You and I both know your client. They're not going to accept that. It's going to be mm -hmm. 10, but it allowed us to get the offer in and put less money on the table. Mm -hmm. By the time they got it, they worked it. Now we hear back from the offer unit. They say, look, we're not, we're going to reject the thousand, but if based on allowable, we would accept 10,000. Mm -hmm. Oh, how about that? And then, you know, so now the client knows they're kind of on board. There's no mm -hmm. guarantee it'll be accepted. It's it's subject to supervisory approval. And so we that that's sort of been my practice to kind of go in with as little money as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, what was happening when they rolled out the fresh start? I would get calls now from like a, an appeals officer if we were through CDP or at the offer unit, and they'd say, um, you know, so Mr. Green, we have your client, you offered a thousand. Um, you know, under the old program, this would have mm -hmm. been ten thousand. But with the new thing, can your client go up to eighteen hundred? We'll accept eighteen hundred, right? So all of a sudden, <laughs> I look like a genius for about six months. My clients are like, "Oh my god, that's great! You thought it would be ten thousand." And of course, I would explain to them, "Look, they just changed the program. We happen to be in in the process, and mm -hmm. it worked out." Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was this window of time where Eric looked like he could do no wrong. Um, and a lot of that was just that sort of, mm -hmm. let's be sort of aggressive in what we're seeking, knowing they were going to counter. And then the program changed in the, in midstream. And I looked like, like I said, I look like a genius, uh, sometimes better lucky than good, but, um, yeah. but no, but it, it really has made it easier. People can now do offers. Uh, now, now what's interesting about the, 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 um, the fresh start program, I, we're sitting here talking about all the good things it did. Mm -hmm. There is one negative, mm -hmm. right? Which people don't, uh, people don't even realize was part of the program. So it used to be like, you know, 48 months of future income, net equity and assets. If you could do that, they would take your offer. Mm -hmm. When they when they made it easier to get your offers done and everything else, they made one other change to the program that says, if you can full pay within the time on the statute, you cannot do an offer. And I think that was in response to collection saying, hey, wait a minute. If we cut from 48 months, and by the way, just so you know where the 48 months came from, statistically, that's the average when uh, payment plans would default. Mm. So I, I I don't have I have I don't have this on good, but a lot of the my the folks I'm friendly with up at the top of the IRS have told me that years ago they kind of concluded. Let's just take 48 months. If that's all we're going to get before we have to, on average, start chasing people again. You know, because remember, the offer program helps the IRS too. It mm -hmm. resolves these debts, gets them off the books. They don't have to pursue these people anymore. So let's just take the 48 months and call it a day. Um, when they went to 12, I think what collection said is, hey, wait a minute. Before, we'd say, look, we're going to get the 48 months. On average, it's what we're going to get anyway, and let's just call it a day. Now to go to 12, hmm. 
we don't want people who could really full pay now just, you know, settling for, I mean, why would anybody full pay? Right. In the fact, it almost be an incentive to not pay and then just mm-hmm. go do an offer and get rid of it. So the one negative, if there is a negative, is that if you can full pay, you cannot do an offer. Mm-hmm. So that's why that initial consult, you know, Marcelino, that we do mm-hmm. and go through the analysis yes. is so critical because what I'll tell people is, look, if you can't do an offer, you have better things to do with your money. We have better things to do with our time, right? If this offer is dead on arrival, let's, mm-hmm. you know, the other thing is, can we legitimately adjust that RCP analysis um, so that people could do an offer? Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is um, a lot of taxpayers will drop expenses that they just believe they can't afford. Mm-hmm. Health insurance, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Because there's a lot of folks that will tell you, hey, I got to save up money for an offer. No, 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 Bad. It's counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have anything. To do the offer, the less you have, the better off you are in offer and compromise world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I've had people say, "Well, why don't you go go get health insurance?" First of all, you you should, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you get sick, right, you want to go bankrupt. Go get health insurance; it's allowed. Um, pay the alimony and child support; you're behind. That's allowed. Pay your student loans, assuming we're not going to get any forgiveness anymore. Pay the student loans; it's allowed. And can we legitimately, you know, pe- people on paper who can full pay may not be able to full pay now and can do an offer. So mm-hmm. that upfront analysis is critical. But one thing is, is they made it much easier. Mm-hmm. But the one change in the 2012 Act, uh, the Fresh Start initiative was, uh, if you can full pay, there's no offer. You got to get into a payment plan. Yes, and that's why it's important to talk to someone who you can speak with uh, in some sort of face-to-face or or their telephone or something that can really go over this information and be able to get these numbers for you and not just, oh, we're going to throw this together, (laughs) but really do this examination and determine what's best. And sometimes it is, you, there are stuff. And as you, as you, as we've mentioned in a number of programs, sometimes it's going to, we're going to put off putting this together for a few months. That way these things can get on track and then put an offer together. That way we can really, as I talk about here, pay as little tax as possible, even in an offer. Let's try to pay as little tax as possible based on the numbers. Right. No. And, um, you know, it's, I would just warn anyone listening that if you, like, if you call me or you call Marcelino and, and say, you know, I look, I make, I make 50,000, I owe a hundred thousand. Can I do an offer? Here's the honest opinion or honest truth. We don't know. Are you single and have health problems, you know, or do you have, mm-hmm. are you married with four kids? You know, I mean, you know, or are you single and healthy? If you're single and healthy, you probably can't do an offer. If you're married with four kids, you probably could do an offer, you know? And, and so it's very much, it'd be like my calling Marceline and say, Hey, I want you to do my 2022 return. Can you give me a refund? Marceline would probably be like, Oh, Eric, I don't know. Did you make your estimated tax payments? What are your deductions? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did you under withhold over, you know, uh, underpay, overpay? You know, do you have a refund carrying forward? I mean, there's so many unknowns mm-hmm. that, that it's very critical if you call somebody to do an offer. If they weren't going to do an analysis with me and walk me through what I can do and why, I would run in the other direction. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's that that upfront analysis. Can you do an offer? Right. Or, or mm-hmm. are you are you in a, a full pay person? Can you do an offer? If so, what does the offer look like? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. There are people who may qualify for an offer but can't afford it mm-hmm. because they count the equity and property and whatever else. So really, the truth is you want to sit down and do the analysis mm-hmm. and make sure that before you spend the time and the money to go forward with this offer, I mean, spend money on the, on the analysis. That's critical. But I wouldn't start throwing big money at an offer if you mm-hmm. really have no idea if that's going to work or not. Yes, that's why that's why we we do the analysis, and that's why you do the analysis, and other people, other individuals in the in the network, tax rep network, they do the analysis, and that's exactly what should be done. Now we've talked about the so far so much about about the offers and the fact that there really is not a fresh start program, but something that we want to I, I wanted to talk about today is because we know IRS is starting to ramp up. There's not going to be I mean there's going to be there's new hires coming in, but even with limitations the IRS has, why do you think it's still important to jump on getting basically tax debts taken care of like now or as soon as possible? Well, you know, the IRS has not been enforcing much from just lack of staffing, um, a lot of non-filers that, you know, you have to be assessed before they can actually enforce. Um, I think it's critical for folks who either have not filed, um, have filed but maybe did not file accurate or complete returns or have balances due and are being left alone if nothing else i would suggest before you call the irs meet with someone who does this and figure out what your options are so and again let's talk about non-filers mm-hmm. you know I, I have people that you know i've had accountants call me and say look i have a non-filer they haven't filed in 12 years i gotta get 12 years of returns done why? The rule is six years. Mm-hmm. Now, they, you might say, well, Eric, he had huge losses in those early years. We could carry forward. Well, great. Then, then that, that's, that explains it, right? Mm-hmm. But you want to think through the process. Before, For instance, we're going to owe money. Maybe I'm better off married filing separate, not married filing joint, and dragging mm-hmm. the house that's in my wife's name into the collection you know, um, yes. analysis. Yes. So it's one of those, um, what, I, what, I, what I'm advocating is that people come in, not necessarily right to the IRS immediately, but meet with a professional that does this, right? I mean, people say, well, I'm going to call my CPA. Do they do representation and resolution? There are a lot of CPAs. So a lot of CPAs that don't even do taxes, right? Mm-hmm. They're really audited. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah. Accountants. Um, but certainly you want to get to a tax person who does this. And have them walk you through, look, here are your options, because there's usually one way to do this. Here are your options. Here's what we recommend, and here's why. All right? Married filing separate, married filing joint. Do we go to the state first, right? Can we use mm-hmm. the state as leverage against the IRS? There's a lot of strategy. This is why I find this so fascinating. There's a lot of strategy to this. I find it it's really interesting. The best results are when we can get in early and strategize. Versus the person who goes, just files the returns, and now shows up with all the bills and wants help. Because now we're kind of stuck with whatever they did, mm-hmm. usually. Um, sometimes we can unwind things, but it's difficult and expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's uh, why we need to definitely look at that. And look at, I mean, I've had non-filers as well come in. We get them caught up look over their situation and then of course make make the best decision and i really appreciate the importance of how 
you mentioned didn't make me think on it so much in this, but I do appreciate that in some cases, maybe it's better for them to do a married filing separate return. In in some of these circumstances, it's granted, I will admit most of the time, mine, people I work with are all married filing jointly, but that's usually best for them. But in these special circumstances, like we're describing in this program today, if they haven't filed, it may be good, especially if there's a lot of taxes owed to, to maybe do a filing separate return. It could end up being to the benefit overall to the benefit, especially if you're going to be dealing with an offer down the road. Well, yeah, if you know there's going to be a balance due, um, I'm, I'm very fond of saying, figure out how you want this to end and engineer backwards. So, all right, we're going to have this balance. What does the collection look like? Mm-hmm. All right. And, and and you might, like I've had, I, I've used, it's one of my more extreme cases, but where they went from a full pace 500000 to him compromising 600000 for $7,500. Why? She had the home in her name with the equity. She had a rollover IRA. Mm-hmm. He owned a pickup truck, and that was about it. So, I mean, it's it's one of those, what are we looking at from a balance? Walk backwards. What does collection look like? Okay, we're going to end up full paying. What if we did married filing separate? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of those where you have that strategy. Are they in a community property state or a separate property state? Mm-hmm. Because that will impact it. So um, to most taxpayers, and I think this is an American thing. We just want it done, right? So they come in. Mm-hmm. Or say, I just want this done. Just get yes. the returns. And, and honestly, a lot of accounts will say, okay, married filing joint. You're going to have these balances. All right, we'll send you over to Marcelino. He can work out an offer or something for you. And they just go file. And then mm-hmm. they come They come to Marcelino. And I'm sure you're, if you've seen this, like, why did you file joint? I don't know. It's what the accountant told us to do. You know, and and, and and I'm always in this awkward, mm-hmm. especially if I know the account. I don't want to throw them under the bus, but you know they they did some real damage here. Mm-hmm. Versus if they called and said, "Eric, I've got this couple. We prepared the returns before I hit send. Mm-hmm. Can you look at this?" And I'd be like, "Whoa, time out. Okay, can we just give me a day or two? Let's do the analysis, even a scratch on the paper analysis." Mm-hmm. As the big assets, they'll know, oh, yeah, I have an IRA, I have, we have a home. And right out of the gate, because I, I practice, I'm in Connecticut, we practice mostly in the Northeast, mostly separate property. So mm-hmm. married filing separate, we can get that spouse completely out of it. Um, and, and their assets, take their assets off the table. And so there's a real big... Um, there's an importance in doing that analysis before those returns go in. But everyone today, especially when you feel under pressure, right? You got the IRS notice, you're mm-hmm. panicked. They want to just hurry up and, and do this, but it, it is, it is critical. But to, to bring this full circle, yes, you can settle with the IRS. You got to do the analysis, see what it looks mm-hmm. like. Um, and there is some strategy. There are mm-hmm. some things you can do to legitimately, um, make yourself an offer candidate. The other thing, and you and I both know this, mm-hmm. uh, collection cases do go criminal. Mm-hmm. This is not a time to play games with not disclosing things. I'm thinking virtual currency. I'm thinking foreign assets mm-hmm. um, or even assets they parked in other people's names. Um, you'd be amazed at how much information the government has. And if they mm-hmm. catch that, um, there's two types of evasion. There's evasion of pay of, of liability, right? The false return. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that. There's also evasion of payment. 
mm-hmm. where you file a false financial or you um, you make a, you make affirmative moves to prevent the IRS from knowing about assets or collecting on them. Mm-hmm. And some people may think now because of the oh what's what's the word but oh like the crash of virtual currency that they may not have any much reporting or whatever to do with that but depending on how much they have especially i mean it, it could become a criminal case it's interesting that you brought it up because in in other educational classes that i talk about and well that i go to they also talk about the cryptocurrency and how important it is to make sure that you are properly reporting that i've heard that across a lot of tax education that i that i personally do and so i see the important i recognize the importance of it and and i always point out of course, on the 1040 has a question about the cryptocurrency, which is important to answer correctly. And then also to recognize of that they've done some summonses and and recognize that. In fact, I have it so important that I'm not going to be held responsible. I mean, it's a part of it's a part of my engagement letter. If you're not telling me about this cryptocurrency, it's not my fault if I don't put it on the tax return. Right. No. And in fact, um, you know, most people don't realize, you know, what the government has. Um, so the government, uh, if, you, if you want, you can go Google this if you're listening. Um, they issued what's called the John Doe summons on Coinbase, Kraken, and Circle, three of the larger um, exchanges. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, they're going to get everything from FTX. As mm-hmm. part of the bankruptcy, the I government is going to get access to all those records. One of the Side benefits, if you will, is the U.S. Trustee's Office and IRS will get a listing of anyone that was trading on FTX. So here's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. They're going to take all that and it, because this is what they did. In 2021, um, Darren Guillaume, Hank Key, and Damon Rowe at the IRS, Darren was Director of Collections, Hank was Director of Insolvency, and Damon Rowe was the Director of the Fraud Enforcement Office, got together and said, hey, wait a minute, we have all this data. Why don't we run that against anyone who's filed for an offer and anyone that's filed to be uncollectible and anyone that's filed for a bankruptcy? Mm -hmm. And let's see if they actually disclose that. The number of cases referred to criminal from the collection division went up 42% in 2021. Because what happens is Mm -hmm. now that they have that data, They've uploaded it. There is now a virtual currency indicator mm-hmm. tagged with that taxpayer. So if they're in collection, they're dealing with a revenue officer, they file an offer, that indicator is there. And so the IRS personnel will know we have information that this person, at least at some point, owned virtual currency. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is one of those things that when we do an offer, when I tell clients, are you doing voluntary disclosure? This is not a time to play games mm-hmm. because, I mean, people don't think of it that way, but you really are. You're you're under penalty of perjury. You are submitting a financial. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, so what I tell clients is the thing you need to understand is we're not playing games. We are taking it all off. We're laying it all out on the table. Mm-hmm. Because this is your opportunity to clean this up. If they catch you playing games, we don't want to take your routine collection case and make it a criminal case. And I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it definitely it definitely can happen. I mean, you've seen it happen, and it just makes me think that if they're if they're not disclosing everything, and because 
as a tax professional, I, I know I've I've not been disclosed everything sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I found out later, it's like, whoa, okay, goodbye client or now former client there because you're not disclosing everything. So we just don't, we just don't want to cross that. So yeah, basically it's like, you got to open up your whole history, everything that's out there, uh, cryptocurrency and even, well, you mentioned something about foreign assets. Well, you don't want to leave out the foreign assets either because that's another one of those deals that, that will come back and really bite you as a taxpayer if if the IRS finds out about it. Now, if these disclosures are like some of these areas that you mentioned there, do they ever perhaps come up after an offer has been accepted and maybe cause an offer to be rescinded or something? Have you ever encountered that? Well, I think um, I haven't experienced it myself, but um, in, in talking to Damon Rowe, who's been on the program, he's the former director of the Office mm-hmm. of Fraud Enforcement. Um, when they ran that, it wasn't just people who had offers pending. It was offers that had been accepted. And so I believe what happened is um, special agents showed up at those those people's front door. Mm-hmm. They also went to the professional who prepared it because here's, what, here's where they're going. They show up at the front door. Um, special agents show up at the front door when they think they have enough now to seek an indictment and they want to confront the taxpayer in the hopes of getting um, – statements that they can use against the taxpayer. So taxpayers say, yeah, I know about that. That was a mistake, but I'll, I'll just pay it. Well, you just admitted that you knew mm-hmm. it was wrong. They also go to the professional because what they want to hear from the professional is, I didn't know they had that. And, and what they're trying to do is eliminate the, they're trying to eliminate the attorney of the accountant as the excuse. Because normally what happens with the taxpayer is I gave everything to Marcelino. I don't know why he didn't include it. So there are two are going to be at Marcelino's door. So Marcelino are in your mm-hmm. office. So you can say, yeah, he didn't mention anything about virtual currency. And they'll subpoena whatever you had and you'll give it to them and mm-hmm. say, I there, there's no mention of virtual currency. I showed them the 433 AOIC. They signed it and never mentioned it. Mm-hmm. All right. That's what they're hoping for, because now they can go prosecute the taxpayer and they've eliminated you as the excuse because mm-hmm. they're going to try to make you the excuse. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, no, the um, it's something the government does take seriously. It's a great program if you qualify, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not a time to start playing games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't play games and don't throw your accountant under the bus unless he is literally negligent or something. And that's why you keep, that's why I asked for this record, that record, this, that, that. And then, then don't think just because you have a certain level of confidentiality that what the preparer like myself has isn't necessarily going to be subpoenaed. Not when it goes criminal. No, the so 75.5 accountant client privilege goes out the window mm-hmm. when it becomes criminal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's something to keep in mind. Got to keep it, lay it all, <laughs> lay it all out there. Don't be right. hiding anything. It's, I mean, in the number of classes I've been in with you and just, it's just amazing what some of the stuff you've talked about of how people, for lack of a better way, just hide stuff for whatever reason. They think they can get away with it. and uh, But yeah, don't do that. And also don't get caught up in these um, mills that like to basically mislead people there. So as we, we talked about an analysis, we talked about a lot of the different areas, the offer and so on. So what's, what, what 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 kind of steps? I mean, you get you get with the 
the accountant, you get with myself to try to settle this debt. We do an analysis there and it turns out, okay, well, maybe you're eligible for to like data collectability or data liability or something like that. Although data liability, I don't think that that's really legitimate too often. I'm sure it can be there, but but I don't think it's as common as, as some others. Yeah, it's a different issue. It's when people say, you know, I don't really owe this. They submitted documents. No one at the IRS looked at them. Yeah, but it's more like audit reconsideration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So at least, at least like ones I'm working on, they're more as data to collectability yep. is, is what, is what I work on. I think I'm going to be working probably more on than, than any other of the possibilities there. And I'm, where does, does do you, do you deal more in like a data collectability to yourself or? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the vast majority of what we do. I tend to do a lot of these days, a lot of doubt as to liability offers because so many folks the Mm non-filers. What happens is the government has done a substitute for return, Mm -hmm. sent the notice of deficiency, no one files in tax court, it goes final. By the time they're now being levied, they come here and we begin to realize they don't really owe this money. Mm -hmm. So we do a a fair number of doubtless liability offers a year, but in the scope of things, I'd say maybe it's 10%. Mm -hmm. Uh, The doubtless collectability is by far the most Mm -hmm. most common. Yeah. And so when we you've touched on it some already there to to do a doubt as to collectability cuz that's like one that I'm currently working on there how does one actually qualify for that we've talked about a lot of the things you want to avoid doing there but how does what what steps once you get analysis done and now we're at okay we think you can we looks like you can qualify for debt debt alive doubt as to liability there what the what does the taxpayer need to make sure and, and provide to ones like myself or, or or you and to make sure that they can qualify for this to make sure the numbers come out right? Well, so what we do is we send them a checklist, which we have, mm-hmm. um, you know, three months of bank statements, proof of their income, and, and it, it asks basically for everything. Mm-hmm. They upload it. We will then do the review and we'll work up what their financial picture, you know, is there net equity in the assets? If so, what that what does that look like? Do they have future income? If so, what does that look like? So when we actually do the consult, we will then walk them through, look, here are your options. Here's why these are your options. So they understand why, if they can do an offer, why they can do an offer Mm -hmm. and what that looks like. Um, And so it really does come down to the financial picture. You know, um, that's why when people say, hey, I make this and I owe this, it's much more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. So if you're single, young, and and in good health, if you you know you owe a hundred thousand and make fifty, you probably could do an offer. Um, or if I can't do an offer, because you probably could full pay it over the ten years. Mm-hmm. But what if you're making fifty and you're married with two children? You have a medical issue, so you have those expenses which are allowed. In other words, your 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 financial picture is going to really drive one. Can you do an offer? And if so, what does that formula look like? So it really, it's called reasonable collection potential or RCP. That RCP formula really is the cornerstone, I think, of IRS um, representation and collection. It is what is going to drive what you can do um, and how much you're going to have to pay, whether you're going to be in a full pay installment agreement, uncollectible or can compromise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they just basically, you got to, it's like taking, at least the way may, this makes me think about it, it's like taking your normal tax return paperwork, taking it like times 10. 
as to what you need to be able to put this together so that you have even more information. Because I asked for a ton of information just to do a tax return. And right. and going through your checklist and looking what I need to get the offer done, that's that's a ton more paperwork than just doing a tax, than just doing like a normal everyday tax return. Now, here's here's something that that's kind of curious here. Is how about for those who like are 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 basically self-employed, have a sole proprietorship or something like that, that that could be a little bit harder to project what their income's going to be. How do how do they perhaps apply for work on this? Well, first of all, you start with the current year profit and loss. So um, they've got to get a profit and loss for the current year. What we then do is do what the IRS is going to do, which is we ask for the last three years of tax returns. Mm -hmm. So I would want your 2022 P&L, and I would ask for your 21, 20, and 19 tax returns. What I'm trying to gauge is, you know, we're looking at your current income, but where is that? So, for instance, if your income is pretty consistent, they'll probably the IRS will probably use that. If it has been increasing, they'll probably use that. But if your income is sort of ping-ponging all over the place, mm-hmm. what they'll do is they will take an average from the last three years to come up with what they're going to use for their income. Mm-hmm. Because you can. You can have self-employed realtors, right? They cl- mm-hmm. made one more closing last year than this year. So their income is sort of up and down and up and down. You know, what do you do with those people? The IRS doesn't want to take an offer because you happen to be having an off year. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, um, you know, if if you know, you know, if you can't pay, you can't pay. And so what they'll try to do is and so what we try to do is try to see what the IRS is gonna see. So if it's been ping-ponging all over the place, mm-hmm. um and this comes down to, you know, I'll may file the offer based on the current year income, but I'll advise the client, here's what I think the IRS is going to come in with, and here's mm-hmm. why. Um, and, uh, you know, because, again, and, and listen, the IRS is right. Why would we have someone who consistently does well, now all of a sudden they're having an off year? Why would we allow them to write off their debt because of an off year? Why don't we just mm-hmm. wait till next year, Right. Uh, and I think most taxpayers would appreciate that. Say, you know, just because someone's having an off year, they shouldn't be able to write off their tax debt. But uh, in, but what if you could show a permanent change? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had this where the income is dropping and it's because the taxpayer had a debilitating disease that effectively they were losing their ability to walk. Mm-hmm. I met them, they had a crutch, they had a, a cane. Then they had like the two sticks, the two walking crutches. Mm-hmm. And eventually, when we filed the offer, I mean, they were almost bedridden. Oh, um, wow. And, and so, and, and they were an appraiser. And so we got the medical records and explained, this is a permanent change. They'll never go back to making 200000 They're now making like forty five. Now, they're bringing in the same money, mm-hmm. but he's having to pay other appraisers to go do the work. Because he can't walk the property. He can't go mm-hmm. into the building. Um, and the IRS, uh, the IRS offer unit rejected it arguing for, uh, you know, an average mm-hmm. and uh, appeals accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, for income, you, you start with the current year income, but you want to look at the last three years because that's what the IRS is going to look at. So mm-hmm. as a tax professional, I never want the IRS telling me things that I don't already know. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like an audit. Mm-hmm. I want to go in knowing everything because mm-hmm. I want to know where the issues are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like sounds like an attorney wanting to know the answer to the question before you ask the question. Is the same thing it. with the IRS. Have them tried the glove on before you're in court. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. have all of that there. So, well, it's very, it's very encouraging to think about how important each of these steps are and how necessary they really are to be able to accurately get uh, an offer accepted. Now, one thing is that you got to have it all properly put together for one thing. And there's obviously, if you're just throwing in the the forms, the two basic forms, the OIC form, the 433, as you mentioned, you just throw those in and send them in. Of course, it's not going to be accepted. So it sounds like uh, when we get these documents and taxpayers need to realize this, when you do anything with the IRS, it's documentation, documentation, documentation. And sometimes you even have to explain it to them or even tab it or whatever you need to do to make sure that they know this is over here, this is over here, so that they can have the explanation as to exactly why this offer is being made and what it is there. So detail is absolutely important. And so if whoever you're, so if you're not working with someone who's not getting that detail, once again, you may need to find the door because the offer uh, may not get accepted. Of course, one thing, since you've done a lot of offers, how, how successful are you in getting your getting offers accept, accepted or even, and some that I even know have to go to appeals even before accepted. So um. Yeah, no, you know, we track this because tax rep, I get asked all the time. We we get about 93% of our offers accepted. Now, uh, now the, the national average is 42% get accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tell you, you know, 93% for three reasons. One is to brag. <laughs> Two, because I, I teach this stuff, right? So I like mm-hmm. to think I know. But I actually, what I'd like everyone to take away from that is I said 93%. I did not say 100%. Mm-hmm. Our clients forget to tell us things. Um, our clients have changed of circumstances. I've had people come in to do an offer. We submit the offer, and then they someone died, and they're inheriting half a million dollars. You know, I've, you know it's nothing, nothing they did, nothing I did, but that, mm-hmm. that offer is going nowhere. Um. Well, I mean, listen, if they owe $10 million, it would just increase the offer. But um, but the point being is that, you know, I've had people had change in circumstances, um, it, you know. So, you know, I, I don't have magic pixie dust, but we do, I think, do a very good job of what we do. Well, it's, 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 it's in the details. It's in the details of making sure all the analysis is correct, having the numbers in good shape, having the, the paperwork in good shape, so that it basically... And I really, this is what I try to do is you make it easy, as easy as possible for the IRS to accept it. Now, the next question is, how long does it take? How long does the process take? You submit, you get this nice little package, you put it all together and uh, sounds like it could be binders of stuff in some cases, depending on what, depending on the case, what the case is there. How long does it take for, for the, to even get a response from the IRS once you submit these to the offer unit? Um, I am finding the average before it starts getting work is four to six months. Um, so the fastest they can, they're accepted. Like we submitted the, the offer unit reviews it. They agree is six months is about the fastest it would happen mm-hmm. on average. Um, we have to take 50 to 70% of ours to appeals. Hmm. Um, and so what I tell clients is to basically plan on roughly about a year. Could be a little more, could be a little mm-hmm. less, but um, I find that a year is probably a pretty good benchmark. From from submission. From submission. 
from submission because we could be working on this for six months before we even submit it. Right. Oh, you know, the people that come in say, you know what, I I, I think I might be inheriting money. Can we hurry up and get an offer done? No. <laughs> nope. Sorry, can't. There's no way. And, and and despite all of, I know the people at the IRS, they're on the, my podcast. All, I have no means of pulling you out of the queue and putting you in front. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. It, it's it will go in and it'll be worked in the order that it's worked. Mm-hmm. Now, is there, there there's some type of letter that they send out that's saying, okay, we got this, we're going to process it. How long does it take usually to get just that letter? Does it take like four to six months to get like that acknowledgement? Oh, no, usually about a month. About a month. Yeah. So what happens is you submit the offer, eh, four to six weeks, you'll get the letter saying, we've received your offer and compromise. We will be in touch, you know, maintain your compliance. If we haven't filed a notice of federal tax lien, we will, right, to protect our interests. Mm-hmm. It, it has like all these standard sort of terms. Um, and then I find usually it's a few months after that, mm-hmm. two to three months after that. So now you're at four, four and a half to five months is when we'll hear from a human being. They've got the case, so they're reviewing it. Mm-hmm. If, we, if they have any questions, um, they'll call us. If we want to call them, here's their fax number, here's their phone number. Right. And yeah. these days, even email. Mm-hmm. And um, and then usually they'll work it. And um, uh, sometimes, usually they'll call us to say, hey, I've reviewed this. I have these questions or I need this additional backup or I, I disagree. I believe they can actually full pay every now and then. I won't even get a call. I'll simply get a fax um, that they're letting me know they've submitted for acceptance. So that can happen too. But that's usually, again, around the six, I'd say five to seven, let's call it five to seven months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's not, and that, that's that, that's consistent with what I've heard over the time, over the years anyway. I mean, you could submit it, it could take about a year before it's even done. So, but in the meantime, it's important to, to stay compliant because that could just shoot the whole thing out of the water if you don't stay compliant. And that's right. even... See, it's something that something taxpayers, they can get into trouble if they're not careful is that they can think, oh, well, I'm undone, caught up with my tax. So now I can just go back to my old habits. Well, guess what? No, because that whole thing can get just go poof on you. Right. If you don't maintain your, your, your filing and keep up with your taxes and go on because they, that's what the assumption, what is the, 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 or actually it's like a contract that you're going to be compliant for. Is there a certain period of time you have to be compliant for that to be valid or? Well, yeah, the terms and conditions of an offer um, is you will be in compliance, meaning you've filed your returns, you're paying your current taxes. When you submit the offer during the entire process, the offer is pending. Mm -hmm. And for five years following the Mm -hmm. offer, if you violate that, if you don't maintain compliance when you submit or during the offer is just it, it's they'll just reject the offer. They'll return it, not processable for lack of compliance. If they if they accept the offer, you pay the balance. Now your offer is all done. In the next five years, if you fail to maintain compliance, they will send you a letter that you've defaulted on your offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, they will give you an opportunity to quickly correct that. So if there was some small balance owed, sometimes they'll let you just pay it and and get back because the truth mm-hmm. is they don't want to buy they don't want to they don't want to default the offer and send you back to collections the yeah. whole point was to resolve you but 
uh, if you default and can't fix it, they will put the balance back and you start all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you have issues, if you, once again, if you have something, you develop a big tax debt, make sure you're at least getting getting another installment agreement in place to make sure it's to maintain compliance through that time period so that you don't go and and then don't default on the, don't default on it either. Well, you you, you wouldn't get an installment agreement. If you run up another oh, balance okay. in five years, you've defaulted. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if, if, if we're talking installment agreements, you've already defaulted. Oh, so okay. the, the idea is okay, you, good. you've got to be um, just um, uh, disciplined mm-hmm. about your filing and paying your taxes from that point going forward mm-hmm. for at least five years. After five years, if they want to run up another debt, yeah, then they can. You know, it was so much fun the first time. Let's do it again. Um, yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's see that, and that's important. I, mean, I appreciate that that correction on that because that's that's important. Taxpayers need to need know that you just need to keep that, especially if you're one of those self employed farmers or someone else filing a Schedule C sole proprietor, it's very important to make sure to follow the direction of your tax professional when they say, make those quarterly payments. Because that's the challenge I have with individuals, getting them to make sure they stay up with those quarterly payments. It is so, so important to do and to keep that compliant because just just because the offer is done, it's accepted, stay compliant. And that's the basic rule here. Absolutely. We just ended the nightmare. No reason to restart it. Yeah, yeah, definitely there. So, hey, Eric, you know, I really appreciate you coming on today and getting through this one, this important information because taxpayers just don't always get that how important it is to get their tax debt settled. The IRS no. is going to start ramping up even more. It is. and um, But you know what? If you do have a tax debt, there are options for resolving it. Um, and so the worst thing you can do is do nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? Get to a professional and let's deal with it first of all let's stop the bleeding let's stop running up debt and then let's deal with how how best do we resolve the back mm-hmm. and hopefully this just becomes a bad memory mm-hmm. yeah that's what that's all we want it to be it's a bad memory gone move on whether but and have someone that can definitely do an analysis for you to help to help determine what where you actually need to go have uh that's where you stick with a good tax professional or someone or while well, tax professional, preferably like a enrolled agent that works in this, this field, even the CPA who works in this field, keep it in mind, not all CPAs are tax people. I've <laughs> some people think just because it's a CPA, it's, they know everything. Well, no, some, some, some don't know anything about tax. That's just, that's not a, ba- a knock on CPAs. That's just a fact. Some do not do tax. They do other stuff. So, uh, listen, I know some EAs, they'll do returns and they really do financial planning. Mm-hmm. They don't do resolution. So you want to find somebody who can talk to you about their background in this, how long they've done this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you want to hear is we need to look at your numbers, do an analysis. Mm-hmm. And almost people just want an answer. Yeah, we can do this. That's the wrong. What's not what you're looking for. What you want is someone who's going to sit, do the mm-hmm. analysis and walk you through it. Um, that would that would be give me the warm and fuzzies. Yes, yes. And that's what I try to do is give people the warm and fuzzies with saying we need to do this analysis, what we need to do. And that's why I've appreciated all the fine training that that I've gotten. It's amazing what you learn in this business, even if you've been in it for 20 years, what you still learn just to do this tax resolution work, what's still out there. It's just phenomenal. And certainly I appreciate the important information shared today there, Eric. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to see you again soon. But I know you got a busy, busy schedule. 
But certainly, again, thank you for coming on today. It's been fabulous there. We appreciate all who listen to the, this program. So you have any questions for me coming up? You want to find out about our other services? It's always success, cashtracksfinancial.com. The call, it's 844-394-4287. Cashtracksfinancial.com is the website. Also, we got a free newsletter that we send out and we will not spam you. We do not sell your email information either. So if you want our free newsletter, just visit the cashtracksfinancial.com. So again, I appreciate Eric being here and I thank you all for listening today to the Tax Answers Advisor on the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week. Each year, you file taxes, save money, spend money, and run your business. You try to educate yourself and manage as much as you can on your own. But no matter how hard you search, trying to find the solutions right for you can lead to frustration and burnout. The traditional tax filing and bookkeeping approach no longer works. In a perfect world, the tax professional would work with you throughout the year so you have more time and energy to do the things you love. Marcelino Dodge at Cash Tracks Financial believes you should focus on your job and have a partner to support you to take care of everything else. That is why we developed our personal success and business success bundles. Our clients achieve better results because we focus on more than just tax and bookkeeping stuff. We start with a no-cost mutual exploration meeting to determine if our success bundles are right for you. To schedule your free mutual exploration session, call 844-394-4287, email success at cashtracksfinancial.com or visit cashtracksfinancial.com.